sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It is not acceptable that when a woman goes to work or is in any kind of environment that she feels anything less than comfortable and safe. And this is an issue the entire country has got to work on. I want to protect grand jury testimony, protect classified information, but I want the public to see the underlying document. This has been a cloud over President Trump for two years. That cloud has been removed. It's not like you're summarizing something that's really complicated. Do you have sufficient evidence upon which to charge people with conspiracy, collusion, coordination, whatever you want to call it? I think a lot of Pelosi's poodles out there running scared of, uh, of the facts, but they're still trying to chase down witch hunts. Uh, th- there was no collusion. Get over that fact. Nobody should have wanted it to happen anyway, but it didn't happen. And yet for two years, they've been peddling this lie. And now, Stacey Washington. <laughs> I'm back in my own house. I'm back, I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. I'm at home, and as you can tell, I'm pretty happy about it, although... Guess what, guys? For the first time since 2006, I actually have jet lag. (laughs) So 2006 is when we took the kids, my husband and I, took them to Germany. And when I got back, I had the worst case of jet lag. And I thought it wouldn't be a big deal for me because I'd done that trip so many times before. But it had been a long break between the last time I was overseas and that trip. And so it knocked me off my feet. And this is no different. Just a two-hour time zone difference from what my phone calls Cupertino time and Central time. And I have just been dragging along. So I am so happy to be back behind the mic in the little home studio, the Stacy on the Right Show little, it's, it's, it's a tiny room, it's in our house, but I'm so glad to be here. And we have a great show for you today. We're going to chat with Nicholas Grossman. He's a professor at the University of Illinois. And the reason I just, you know, I, we love all of our guests here at the show. We're always so blessed to have people come on and join us because people are busy. And if they've written books or they've been on Fox News or any place big, it's not easy to get them to come on the show. So Professor Grossman is really amazing because he's going to bring us some very important analysis on the Mueller report. And I'm, I want to hear what he has to say because the big deal now is everybody wants to see the 400-page Mueller report. Like they're going to learn something from it that the summary didn't impart. And I think it's especially telling that the majority of the people who are screaming and getting all stompy foot about it, they're upset because they think that in the 400 pages is something that proves that President Trump is guilty of the thing that the summary says he's not guilty of. Knowing full well that A.G. Barr would lose all of his credibility, he would jeopardize his position if he said anything that was the opposite of what the report contained. And remember, how did they get that done? How did he get the 400-page report done? Well, I mean, let's just guess, throw out a couple of, of wise guesses. Well, he could have had portions of it given to him beforehand because of the position that he's in. Uh, You know, he's uh, the attorney general and Mueller is, you know, this acting special prosecutor, special prosecutor, not acting. And so he could have had portions of it that he was privy to. He could have gotten the report and done what so many members of Congress do. They put a bunch of what they call, you know, it's it's not a technical term like slaves. It's like literally people who just drone out work when you order them to. They put a bunch of people in a room Each person takes 10 pages of the report. They read those 10 pages and they summarize it. They highlight anything that's super important that the person who's ultimately going to write the summary needs to see. And so the person, A.G. Barr, would read all of the highlighted portions 
and the summaries and take a, pay, a, a report that's 400 pages down to about 20 or 30 or even 40 pages. See, that's one way he could have gotten it done. In any case, there's no way he would get caught, which is what will happen if the report is released and it has anything contrary to what his summary said, then he loses all credibility. So there's zero reason for any American to think that the report is going to shine some light or have some smoking gun in it that A.G. Barr didn't see, missed, was too lazy to read, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just not going to happen. So this is going to be an interesting interview when he gets on today. We're also going to talk about it, whether or not private property is racist. This is the latest effort by the Democrats to try to paint something as simple as saving money, making wise choices with your credit, getting married instead of cranking out a bunch of kids and going on welfare, and then going out and getting a loan and buying a home. Millions and millions of blacks, whites, Asians, uh, you know, uh, mixed background people, immigrants, foreigners, millions of people of every stripe do this every single year. Homeownership in America is tied. It's, it's inextricably linked to wealth attainment and the stability of our country's economic situation. But is it racist? I think you guys know what I'm going to say to that. I mean, I just have to hold back the laughter when I first when I first saw that this is where they're going with this. The group that has all the failed policies also thinks that they can make everyone think that simply owning a dwelling, you know, that's racist. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to talk about that in the third segment. Also, that uh, Housing and Urban Development Secretary Ben Carson, Dr. Carson, was in St. Louis. I believe it was, I'm not sure if it was Saturday or if it was Friday. Remember, I was like, you know, try, just trying desperately to get back here um, from California on Friday evening. And I don't know how I missed the press release or whatever that he was going to be here, but he was here. And so we have a little bit of audio of him discussing a new program that they're developing to help spur investment into declining neighborhoods. Now, I'm going to withhold judgment. I think uh, Dr. Carson is brilliant, and I think if he's going to bring forward a new program, it's something that's going to get the government out of the way and unleash the private sector to, uh, you know, increase development in areas that are now economically depressed. Uh, but let's let's see, and I want to hear what you think about it as well. We are also going to talk about the Democrats' decision. They've decided, it's official, to push handsy old Uncle Joe out to pasture. Um, he still thinks he's relevant and that he has a place with the Democrats in leadership. And they feel like he's had a storied history and he's been awesome. And he just should go on to that good night because he's done. And um, no one's told him. No one's actually sat him down and said, hey, Joe, you know, you know who has to do it. His best friend, Barack Obama. But no one's done it yet. So we'll talk about that as well. Right now, I want to launch into our encouragement. So this to me is is really relevant because I have, you know, as I sometimes will put on social media, I got stuff I'm dealing with. And what we do is obviously we want to pray. We want to have a relationship with our father in heaven. We want to be in prayer. In other words, a constant conversation with him on a daily basis. But there's something more that you can do. And God's word actually describes this to us and it lets us know, hey, you know what? You know what, you know what, people, you know what you can do? You can get together and two or three of you, you can get together in agreement and you can pray and, uh, and, and it will move me. I will move on your behalf. And so this is for healing. It's for any situation. So the scripture that I'm talking about is Matthew 18, 19. It says, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my father in heaven. Let me read another version of this, because this is on one of my little prayer cards, but I found another version for you. Again, I say to you that if two of you 
agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So this is also known commonly as the power of agreement. Um, and it's it's something really important because it's in the scripture. Agree on earth concerning anything that they ask. So you have to find someone who's in perfect agreement with you that God can heal you, that he will heal you, and that you want to be healed. That person wants you to be healed and that the healing is possible, that it is available to you, which all things are possible in Christ. And then you have to remind yourself, God doesn't need to be reminded, but you have to remind yourself that where two or three are gathered in his name, he's there in the midst. So that's the power of praying together. Now, sometimes what happens with us is we, we just, we have so much doubt going on. We are listening to the natural, which it may have been a doctor saying, look, this isn't something we can do anything with. Or it may be just you looking at the situation and in your natural mind surmising this is not something that can be fixed. Or it could be that you doubt it because maybe you got to know to the, you know, the last thing you prayed about, you feel like the Lord said no. And so you're like, you know, he's, he's maybe not going to do this either. Or you have a wrong view of God, which all of us sometimes struggle with this, where we don't believe that God is happy with us or that he's, you know, that he wants to do things for us because, you know, we've, we've made mistakes, we've sinned, we've, we've failed at things. Those things aren't true. And they're, that's a trick of the enemy. He wants to steal your faith and keep you from relying on God, from trusting him, from believing that he'll do what you ask, because that's how he can get you to, in other words, it's a, a negative spiral. You'll be believing less that God can do for you. And in turn, you'll be experiencing less answered prayer and in turn thinking God doesn't answer prayer. And so that's a vicious cycle to get into. And the enemy would love for you to be there. God wants you to be here, right here in this scripture where he says, two of you gather in agreement, two or more, you pray, you ask, I move. It's sometimes that you think it has to be intense, that it has to be this like major, massive, like, you know, sky cracking open, lightning and all that stuff. And, you know, hey, if that's when that happens when you pray, amen to that. But God also answers our prayers when we're just, you know, you're just broken down. You don't, ha- you barely have enough energy to pray and you gather together with another person and you say, we're in agreement on this and you pray about the issue. God hears those prayers too. So don't feel like you have to be, you know, uh, up on the mountaintop and, you know, that everything in the world has to pause for a second and then by the enormity or the intensity of your prayer. Prayer is prayer. Keep doing it. It doesn't have to feel amazing for it to be effective. So God wants more than anything for you to have a relationship with him. He wants a relationship with you. And so if there's anything that you're in agreement with that you're praying for the 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 verse doesn't say unless you just send you know yesterday or unless you feel condemned or unless it doesn't have any of those things no caveats so your encouragement today is you can pray by yourself obviously you must do that but when the problem seems insurmountable or when you're wanting that extra jolt Because oftentimes I find what encourages me is the praying with another person. It actually encourages me as opposed to it doing something for them. I'm encouraged by it, which then spurs me on to more prayer, more study, more reflection, which is always good for, for the individual, the person who's in need. So don't give up on that. 
God's word is true. He doesn't lie. He doesn't put little addendums on there. His word is whole and complete and it's for you. And prayer is for you and answered prayer is for you. So the Bible verse is Matthew 18, 19. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my father in heaven, where two or three are gathered together in my name. I am there in the midst of them. And that's totally encouraging. Um, Okay, so I have a little bit of audio for you, but we also have a caller. So let's go to, um, okay, let's go to the phones. We have Ernest in Michigan. Hey, Ernest, thanks for calling the show today. Hey, Stacy, how are you? Pretty good. How are you? Good. I just want to say I agree with everything you just said. There's a there's a old song by the group Commission, and it's uh, it's stated that Jesus cares about our everyday struggles, and He really does. Mm-hmm. And I also want to comment on the fact that uh, you had made a statement <laughs> uh, after they found there was no collusion. It was all delusion. Uh, I was watching CNN, and boy, some of the long faces of the panel, they just looked <laughs> like they had lost us. Like, they were looking like sick puppies. They just need to get over it. You know? Just mm. get over it. I, I They're not going you. to, I, but they do. <laughs> they need to. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I watched Donald Trump was in Michigan, and I, I watched some of his speech on uh, YouTube. And he's done a lot. God has blessed him to do a lot for this country. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to go. I believe God has placed Donald Trump in place. Uh, so that prophecy can be fulfilled. Uh, a lot of people don't understand that because they don't understand the Bible. I just want to say to you, Stacey, you're doing a fantastic job. You are a blessing to the body of Christ. Oh. And keep on doing what you're doing. God Thank bless. you. I appreciate that. Um, and I, I, I want to just kind of piggyback on what Ernest is saying. And remember, um, God places the leaders in authority over us. And so as disappointing as it can be for you know, I'm speaking to the listeners in our audience who are not Trump supporters, but, you know, they still listen. God bless you. Um, it can be disappointing for you when you feel like, you know, how can God use Donald Trump? He's coarse. He's this. He's that. He's been married more than one time. You know, he wasn't a true Christian, blah, blah, blah. I've heard all the criticisms. I understand where they come from. Um, but, you know, but conversely, you were excited when President Obama was in office. And those of us who we were Christians, too, we are definitely, you know, Bible believing Christians. I felt like. Barack Obama was a judgment on this nation. So, you know, we have to keep it in context, if you will, um, or perspective. We have to keep our perspective that what looks one way to one of us can look another way to another of us. But God's will is going to be done on this earth. It's going to be done. Whether it's Trump or Obama or whoever, he's going to use the leader. He's going to turn their head whichever way he wants it to go. So when we get back, we're going to have Professor Grossman. Hold on. It's amazing, but true. When it comes to one of America's biggest household expenditures, health care, a lot of people think they've got no choice. People are used to thinking we have to do it this way, but they don't. Yes, you have the freedom to choose an alternative with your health care. It's MediShare, and it costs way less than the alternatives. The typical family saves $500 a month, not a year, a month. And if you're single, this can save you a lot, too. And let's face it, a big reason MediShare is 400,000 people strong, it just works. They've shared over $3 billion in medical bills, so they can help share your needs, too. Joining MediShare for so many people is one of those things that makes you say, why didn't I do this before? So yes, the time has come for something better. Look into joining MediShare and see why so many people are opting out of the old way and into the new. Why not look into this? Just call 855-PSALM-23. That's 855-PSALM-23, 855-PSALM-23.
Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. A number of years ago, our youngest son called me and asked, Dad, is America a Christian nation? I said, you know, that's not an easy question to answer. It all depends on what you mean by Christian nation. For example, if you mean that our country was built on certain Christian principles, then the answer is a resounding yes. But if you mean that all our leaders have had a relationship with Christ and lived and governed by biblical principles and values, well, obviously the answer is no. Let's face it, the hand and favor of God definitely have been on this country. But it doesn't take long to see that sin and evil have also been a part of our history and development. There's a word for us in Psalm 33, verses 10 through 12. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from one generation to the next. Then that great opening line of verse 12. Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. I want to make three quick observations. Number one, our plans as a nation apart from God are meaningless. Apart from God, what we intend to do will not bear eternal fruit. Second, God's plans are eternal. His counsel, his direction, his insight are eternal. The third observation is obvious. God's favor is released through surrender to his lordship. That expression, blessed, means full, complete, happy is the nation, content is the nation whose God is the Lord. Well, here's what I want you to remember and do today. Let's pray for genuine revival to sweep across our country. Let's ask God to bring our leaders to Him and to use them to accomplish His purposes. Join Crawford Loritz tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey there, welcome back to the program. If you want to know more about what we're doing here, go to AFR.net and UrbanFamilyTalk.com. We are so glad to have with us our next guest on the program. It's Professor Nicholas Grossman. He is the professor of international relations at the University of Illinois, frequent guest on the program, and we're so glad to have you today here. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Stacey. Thanks for having me on. Hi. Okay, so let's talk about uh, the Mueller report. You've got a little bit of analysis going on here on whether or not Americans should see the Mueller report. I personally am not planning on reading all 400 pages, but I guess if they issue it, I'll find it on Scribd somewhere and read a couple of pages. But I'm, I'm, I don't need to read the whole thing. Should we even have access to it? Well, I think so. And I'll, I'll admit I probably won't read all 400 either, but... Um, I'm very interested in seeing it. I think there's some information that um, will be redacted because it's protecting sources and methods of intelligence gathering. Anything that's affecting any ongoing investigations, they need to keep hidden. Um, and any information that would smear somebody who is not being charged with a crime, especially somebody who's not a public official, um, public official that they should redact to protect those people's privacy. But otherwise... Um, I think it's really important for, if nothing else, being part of the historical record and also to answer foreign policy and national security questions pertaining to Russia's activity specifically. It also could give us a good way to agree on a set of facts as a country and hopefully turn the page from various squabbles over the 2016 election. Hmm. So I, I kind of agree with you on releasing it, mainly because releasing the report enables the um, 
so the naysayers will say if we don't release it or if it's not released, I have nothing to do with it. If it's not released, the naysayers will say, well, they're hiding something. So if it's released, then the information is out there and there can no longer be these kind of statements about how there's something hidden inside that's being withheld. Um, but then don't you feel like there's a possibility of people twisting the words in the report as we see a lot with mainstream media? They don't acknowledge the whole truth or they just cherry pick and then they use that in a repetitive fashion to drum these false things into the minds of Americans who kind of just get a little news here and there? I think that's a safe bet, but I think they're going to do it either way. That, As you note, as long as it stays hidden, people will say that they're covering something up And you know what? Even after it's released, I'm sure somebody will say, oh, there's something that is still covered up. You know, can't you see? Take a look at this. And um, there will be people who don't like the president and will cherry pick out something to say, oh, look, this proves that everything's terrible. And there'll be people who do like the president who will cherry pick something also. Um, What I think, though, since they're going to do it anyway, is that this is more about the rest of us. Is anybody who is going to be objective, who's going to look at evidence, and not only now, but any historians looking back in the future. And so while some people will definitely try to make political hay over it one way or another, I'm pretty optimistic that enough people will be swayed more by evidence than by people trying to manipulate evidence. And so for that reason, I lean more towards giving people the facts and letting them judge based on the facts as opposed to basing on what people are saying in terms of speculation about what the facts may be. So I'm, I'm interested to get your take on something that's kind of, it's, it's kind of percolating under the surface, if you will, pertaining to the Mueller investigation and the report, which is while the, the report clears the president and his entire campaign apparatus of ever colluding or accepting help from or being involved with the Russians in an, in an attempt to to influence the election, um, there was this refusal to say that the president didn't obstruct justice, which, I mean, I, I if he obstructed justice, it would have been that he fired Mueller, that he denied him resources or access to certain people or events. The only thing I could think of that he said no to that was significant was he wouldn't sit down with Mueller, which his attorneys told him not to because it was an opportunity for Mueller to entrap him as he did so many of the other witnesses who were tried and convicted on things that had nothing to do with, uh, with collusion. So what, what is this idea that Mueller says he didn't, he found evidence of, of obstruction, but not enough to prosecute. So I think a lot of that comes down to a blurring of what's actually a really important distinction between a criminal charge of obstruction of justice and a impeachable charge of obstruction of justice. So uh, a criminal charge would be the president broke the law, um, and the attorney general has put forward an argument that I think is pretty convincing, that the president cannot break the law if he is doing something within his constitutional powers, even if he is doing something for a reason that you don't agree with. So in this case, there's suspicion that Trump may have um, obstructed justice in asking uh, FBI Director James Comey to go easy on Michael Flynn. He might have obstructed justice in firing Comey. And what Barr's argument is, um, is that those are things that the president is constitutionally allowed to do. So even if you don't like the reasons for it, it's still not illegal. However, the question of impeachment is one of abuse of power. It's in Article 2 of the Constitution that gives the president his powers. There's a clause that says the president has to take care to faithfully execute the laws. And so what that means is Congress can determine, if it wants to, 
that the president did something that is technically legal, but is not a faithful execution of the laws and is therefore an abuse of power. And that's what Congress did with both Richard Nixon and Bill Clinton. In both cases, they were accused of obstruction of justice. It passed as impeachment for Nixon. It was through the Judiciary Committee, and before it got to the full House, he resigned. For Clinton, it passed through the, uh, through the committee and also through the full House. And in both cases, they were then impeached for obstruction of justice, but neither had been charged with a crime. So those are, are two separate things, and it's one for, in that case, Congress to decide. But the Attorney General has concluded, and I, or he says that Mueller has concluded, and I believe him, um, that there is not enough for a criminal charge. So in lay people speak... He did a little bit of obstructing. I mean, I'm just I'm not I'm not getting it's almost as if Mueller, who has this so-called impeccable record and he's just so, you know, Mueller's just this above reproach dude. At least he was until the Mueller report uh, summary came out by A.G. Barr. Now, all of a sudden, he's suspect again. But th- this is the fickle, wishy-washy nature of, of the Democrats supporting almost anything. But he, he it's almost like a shotting, a, a parting shot, not a, a shotting, a parting shot against the president for him to put that in the report. Um, I actually I interpreted it almost the opposite way, uh, um, where I took this as a really positive thing for Mueller in that uh, the special counsel's job is not to determine something like abuse of power and obstruction of justice, that that is up to the attorney general for the legal question and up to Congress for the political question. Um, and so I interpreted that line of saying, I'm not bringing charges, but I'm not exonerating him either, as saying, I'm going to do just the facts. Here's the evidence. It's your job to make a judgment call, not mine. Now, granted, neither of us has seen the report, so it's possible that there's more editorializing or where it seems like Mueller kind of has an opinion, even if he doesn't come out and say it. But that I can't know to see the report. That's another reason why I'd like to see it. Um, but I, I think that them saying, uh, we're not going to make this decision, we're just going to give you the facts and other people can make that determination, is the right move. And I, I have more respect for that. I would have had less respect if uh, he tried to make what amounted to a political judgment. Hmm. Okay. Well, and, and that's why I love having you on to talk, because I certainly wasn't feeling that way. I just, I noticed that people immediately pounced on that in the media, and they've been saying, well, because he said he couldn't exonerate him of it, it means he's guilty of it, which I think is a reach. Yeah, that's, that's not how it works. But um, most people who are found not guilty are also not exonerated. So not exonerated you know, means prove that you didn't do it. You know, so something like if you're charged with murder and you have this really great alibi that you were in another country and you're on video and stuff and you couldn't have done the murder, you're exonerated. Or, you know, mm-hmm. DNA testing can exonerate people. But most of the time, the way that the justice system works is you're innocent until proven guilty. And if you're not proven guilty, even if you're not exonerated, you're still not guilty. Um, and so I think there's an <laughs> immense amount of room between not being charged and exonerated, and we can't know how close it is to either. It could be that there's a tiny bit of evidence that someone who really hates the president could spin into an obstruction charge, or it could be that there's a lot of evidence that just falls short of provable beyond a reasonable doubt, or anything in between, uh, and we don't know without seeing the report itself. I think that's a great point to make. <laughs> so when someone is accused of a crime and they are found not guilty, it's different than because the description you just gave is you're basically you've not been proven that you didn't do it. They just couldn't prove you did it without a shadow of a doubt. 
that that's that's a that's a distinction. Right, and it's an important one. It's the the basis of innocent until proven guilty. You know, the opposite is um, that we presume your guilt and you have to prove your innocence, which sometimes can be impossible. Uh, indeed, in fact, it can be impossible. Now, in today's world, where they're we're catching all of our metadata, and and you know maybe maybe less so, but still, it is possible to be out in the woods, right. you know, on a on a hike or a cabin. You stand in a cabin by yourself for reflection and have no witnesses and have something be accused of something and then be unable to prove that you weren't there and them not able to prove that you were there and therefore some suspicion remains, but you are not proven guilty. Therefore, you're innocent. It, it, right. Yeah, yeah. There, there's. There's a lot more thinking that goes into what you're describing here than simply reading the report and saying he didn't exonerate him, therefore he must be guilty, which is exactly what I'm hearing over and over and over again. It's, it's actually being used as a justification for mining the Mueller report and looking for nuggets of you know guilt that can then be strung together to prove that he was indeed guilty, even though Mueller says he wasn't. And that's why I think this isn't going to give the sort of closure that maybe I hoped of where it looks like Mueller's report is going to present some evidence that some people can argue is abuse of power or is obstruction of justice uh, or is uh, something that looks kind of like collusion, um, and other people will be able to argue that it's none of those things, it's you know, more that the report shows exonerating, um, and we're probably going to end up in not much of a different position than we are now except that, thankfully, we'll have more facts to, to base it on. But I'm sure that there will always be people who are going to try to spin it one way or, or another, that they had made up their minds before Mueller finished it all, and nothing that Mueller does is going to change their minds. But I like to think that those are a relatively small minority of people. I mean, they're very loud. They're loud in the media. They're loud on Twitter. But uh, still, they don't seem to be overall the impression of the public. So it, it's pretty like I've seen some polls that have come out, snap polls that they did right after their Mueller report was released. And Democrats tend to think overwhelmingly that the report is wrong and, it, you know, something's wrong with it. It's not correct. And Republicans tend to think that although they didn't really like the Mueller investigation, that the report is correct. So it really is a partisan contest if you're asking people whether or not they believe it. Uh, I've also seen some people referring back to the Benghazi investigation and the Hillary Clinton email investigation, which she was she was exonerated. But now we've come to find out a lot of details about how that happened that show that she was never really ever going to be convicted of anything because they'd already you know predetermined her innocence, regardless of what they found. Are those two are those things comparable? Can can someone say to me, hey, you know what? I don't believe the Mueller report because you Republicans never believed the, you know, the Benghazi investigation or the Hillary Clinton email investigation? Are, do, do you see, uh, you know, a reason for people to use those to bludgeon anyone who believes the Mueller report over the head with their disbelief? Or I think the part that's most similar, especially with the, uh, the Hillary email investigation, is that uh, Comey said they're not going to charge her, but also he didn't exonerate her. You know, he said that she, you know, did, uh, was it made some serious mistakes or mm -hmm. a serious carelessness. Um, and similarly, with uh, Barr quoting Mueller, also saying, you know, we're not going to charge, but we're also not saying totally exonerated. Um, so that part, I think, is fairly similar. Uh, I, and maybe this is strange in today's partisan environment, but I'm somebody who 
trust the evidence in all of these investigations. That I I trust the conclusion of them. That uh, people, especially people who are not political, who are say working as Justice Department lawyers, do their best to make a political decision under the law. And I know that obviously some people are biased, but try to make the best decision that they can under the law. Uh, and um, I buy that not charging Hillary uh, was the correct prosecutorial decision. And I buy that not charging uh, Trump or anybody from his campaign or, uh, say, his sons or son-in-law uh, was also the correct prosecutorial de- uh, decision. That's a different question of the part about, say, was the investigation itself motivated by politics? And the answer is at least partially yes. But I think that the investigators did a, a pretty thorough job, as best I can tell, and were able to act without too much political pressure, without being too biased. Um, and even seeing the, the Republican reaction now of, well, you know, I had questions about the investigation, but uh, it looks like, you know, they did it above board, that my fears were not realized. I mean, I think that's a very, a very positive outcome. And I hope that when Democrats see the final report, that they will react also that, you know, even if it doesn't fit exactly what conclusion they wanted to going in, um, I hope at least some of them will treat it with the respect that it deserves with what they were saying in advance that it deserves, only to then maybe see that it didn't reach the conclusion they want before changing their mind. Mm, I hope so, too. I hope you're right about that. I just there's there's so what I've been watching is I, I tried because it, it kind of enrages me, so I can't go full Monty where I'm just watching hours and hours of it. But I definitely have checked in on the, the major networks, MSNBC, CNN. And what I'm seeing is doubling down. Jake Tapper said that, look, we didn't do anything wrong in our reporting. Well, it, this is 2016 election part two. They got the 2016 election wrong by a lot. It wasn't a slight error. They predicted Hillary Clinton would win by a landslide and that Donald Trump would barely even like tap into the Electoral College, and instead he won handily. And now they have been predicting for two years that he would be impeached or removed from office or resign because of collusion, and he's been found not to have colluded. I just, I hope you're right. You, you're you're so much more even keel than these monsters on cable. I, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to chat with you, Professor Nicholas Grossman of <laughs> Inter- University of Illinois. <laughs> Thank you for... Uh, <laughs> for all that yeah, uh, that great. common sense it's awesome <laughs> yeah thank you my pleasure talk to you again soon we will be back with your calls at 866-963-2037 866-963-2037 right after this This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. Having your wife help you grow as a husband is really valuable. Sometimes I get too focused on the what ifs and Lauren shows me not to worry. I'm a better dad and a better husband because of her wisdom. What you don't want to do is say to yourself, I wish my spouse was more like me. I shouldn't think that about my wife or my children or anyone. Instead, We're a team. Our differences are one reason God brought us together, and we make good decisions when we work through things as husband and wife. I think my perspective helps Tony look at things differently for the better. Together we trust the Lord, knowing He will work all things out. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. 
Discover more at CoachDungy.com. There are many ways you can listen to the shows of Urban Family Talk. One of those ways is through our very own app. Whether you have an iPhone or an Android, just go to the App Store and search for Urban Family Talk. You'll have immediate access to 24-hour programming as well as the podcast for each show. You'll be able to tune in no matter where you are. Speaking of tuning in, we have our own channel on another radio app called TuneIn. Cool, right? Urban Family Talk is everywhere. Just download the app and take us wherever you go. The Christian life is a battle. A wise soldier puts on the whole armor of God so that he is able to stand against the wicked schemes of the devil. We can have victory over the enemy when we go into the battle, not dependent on our strength, but dependent on the strength of Almighty God. The Hour of Intercession with Joseph Parker, weekday afternoons at 1 Central on Urban Family Talk. Donald Trump's America. President Trump says if the flow of illegal immigrants into the U.S. doesn't come to a stop, he'll take steps to close the southern border. White House Counselor Kellyanne Conway on Fox News Sunday says numbers they have show... 4,000 migrants apprehended in one day recently. We're on track this month for close to 100,000. We have never seen a surge like this. The president is also cutting aid to key Central American nations to prompt them to curb illegal immigration. Also, it may be mid-April before Congress sees a redacted Mueller report. House Intel Committee member Jim Himes, a Democrat, says Congress would like it sooner. My guess is that this is going to be something that can be negotiated away so that we wind up, as, as everybody agrees we should, with the Mueller report. Himes says while Republicans feel the report will show no collusion with Russia, he feels the report will also show reasons why many people thought there was. Within it's more than 300 pages. Gernal Scott. Fox News. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Lots of balloons and big signs welcome Housing and Urban Development Secretary Dr. Ben Carson and Missouri Governor Mike Parson to the North Sarah Apartments. St. Louis Mayor Lida Krusen and Congressman Lacey Clay also took part in a roundtable discussion. What? been done here in St. Louis, I think, is a tremendous model. Politicians listened to many people, including three women, who talked about how government programs helped turn their lives around. I was able to get a great job and do what I love to do, which is teach um, and move out of public housing. Secretary Carson was here to promote a new program for neighborhoods in decline. It rewards investors with tax breaks if they build new homes or businesses and continue to invest in those properties for as long as 10 years instead of taking the profits and leaving town. That was the model before you'd come in, you reap your benefits and you take off. Here today, gone tomorrow. We're looking at a here today and here to stay model. At the end of the day, it was really it's about trying to give people an opportunity to go back into the workforce, be productive citizens. The secretary also had these thoughts concerning segregation and homeowners. We still have a lot of segregation, uh, but that segregation is principally caused by the fact that people can't afford to be somewhere else. We have to fight the affordability problem. Rules for this new program are still being drawn up. In North City, Rocky Madden, News 11. Hmm. Okay, so um, that's, it's a good news story uh, in that he's saying that the government will 
incentivize long-term development in socioeconomically depressed areas. And I'm, I'm kind of, it's a, it's a mixed bag for sure, because anytime we give the government permission to start saying, you know, if you develop here, we'll give you tax breaks, there's a danger there. There's a danger that that could go in a direction that we don't want it to go in, or that it could result in a very rapid form of gentrification, which you still have the same people who need somewhere to live, but now they've been moved out of their area where they were into another area so that the economic depression remains. I'm hoping that what we're going to see as a part of what he's doing is some of the, the, the same thing that it kind of undergirds everything that Dr. Carson does, which is he came from, you know, his mom was a, a maid and he, his father wasn't in the home and he and his brother grew up thinking that their mom was this huge reader because she pretended to read the newspaper every day to encourage them to set the example for them to be readers. She put their multiplication tables on an audio cassette tape for them to listen to for 30 minutes before they went to bed. And as they drifted off to sleep, they'd be hearing their multiplication tables. And so they, they learned not to fear math. They used to have to read books over the summer and give her book reports, which she never read because she couldn't read. They didn't find out she couldn't read until they were almost adults. But by then, it was too late. Her, her deception had worked. Her, her motherly, <laughs> she was crafty. She made it work for her sons because she wanted them to have something more. And part of the inspiration for that was the, the man that she cleaned for was a professor and a very well-educated man. He had a home full of books, and he was very kind to her and, and stressed the importance of education. Knowing that she couldn't read, he fostered and facilitated the things that she did with her sons by reinforcing the idea that her sons could not only read but write reports and be well-educated and go on to have stellar careers and do big things. That is something amazing. Um, and it's a great story. And so that undergirds all of the things that he's doing to promote changes that can be made. And, you know, I'm so full disclosure, we live in a tiny little suburb on the outside of St. Louis. We made it here through it, it's on, honestly the grace of God and a lot of good decisions. And we made mistakes along the way. But in the end, everything that we did was geared towards because we lived in the city. We had, a, you know, a multi-unit apartment building that we lived in while we were in the city and we had renters and we lived in a neighborhood that was very mixed. So there were Section 8 rentals in the neighborhood and there were also, you know, really expensive homes that had been remodeled by people who moved into the city from the suburbs. And so in the midst of all of that, we kind of got it in our heads. We could turn this into a vehicle for us to get a home in the suburbs if we decide we want to put the kids in public school, which is eventually what we did. But it, it wasn't racism that got us there and it wasn't racism that could keep us from getting there. We live in a neighborhood that is, it's largely white. I mean, over 90%, probably over 95% for the town that we live in. And then we're in a part of the county that is largely white because St. Louis is very segregated. But it's not segregated because people can't, some of it is people can't move out of the city. But for people in the suburbs, they choose to live in areas where they can get the kind of house that they want. So the question is, is private property racist? If you listen to so Dr. Ben Carson, in case you've never heard of him before, he's the permanent. He's a permanently tanned individual. So you know someone who came up by his bootstraps. He's a Christian. He believes that God gives you you, know, you what you get. You get from God, but you still have to work hard and you have to make right choices. So how how was he able to achieve the pinnacle of success and be 
the head of Johns Hopkins uh, Medical Center and do all of these amazing sur- surgeries and have this amazing career as a neurosurgeon. How was he able to do that if he's permanently tanned and America is this horribly racist country? Well, one of those things has to not be true, right? So let's let's look at this tack. And this is something that it's enraging, but we have to understand where this comes from. When you peddle ideas that are failed, your only option after your ideas fail yet again is to find someone to blame the failure on and to pin it on that person using something that's like a bulletproof, you know, arrow, which is racism. And that is the tool that the left employs so many times. If they can take someone who's innocent, who's just out somewhere living and happens not to be permanently tanned, but is doing well for themselves, and if they can say that person is only doing well because of racism, then they can achieve a lot of different things with one shot. You've demonized a whole group of people. They now have the blame and the shame hanging around their necks for just making right choices and living right. Because remember, that's, that's generational. When you decide to make right choices for yourself and you get married and you follow God's plan and God blesses you, that blessing overflows and runs over to the kids. Now, it's, it's, it's not that the kids can do anything they want and still walk in the blessings. No, you, the kids have to make right choices too. But you can see where after a few generations, and I'm talking about just from, let's say just take a family that started in 1980. The two met in 1980 and got married. And now they're, they've been married because it's you know 2019. They've been married for a while. Now they've got kids and some grandkids. And if the kids were obedient and lived well, they're probably pretty, I won't say prosperous, but doing well. That is not racism. (laughs) So making right choices isn't racism. It is racism to say that a whole group of people that are socioeconomically disadvantaged are disadvantaged purely due to racism and they're being permanent victims, and that there's nothing that can help them but to go out and find people who have made right choices and take what they have. Like, for instance, you know, any, any couple you find living around, out here where I live, just pick, pick, randomly pick a couple. They might even be Democrats. Just pick them and tell them you guys are only successful because you're racist. Is, is that the America we want to m- morph into? After all of the years of slavery and segregation and then the civil rights movement and coming from there to here and walking in the blessing of knowing that God has reconciled us all to to each other and the knowledge that we have due to technology and DNA that Americans are an individual people group and that white and black Americans are more closely related than, say, me and some Nigerian person. God bless. I, you know, I'm, I'm all for Nigerians, but I'm saying I'm not I'm not more closely related to a Nigerian person who shares the same skin color that I have than I am to a white American whose family has been here since the slave era. So I can't, you can't beat those genes. You can't beat that history. You can't beat that people group, right? So is property racist? Now, the Democrats have been peddling this garbage since this one article I found was from 2014. And I read a few of them to try to, you know, kind of get ready to talk about this because I just want to understand what is, what is going on with these people? Well, they say that the police are racist and the police are an appendage of the larger institution of property. Police serve property and property in the United States at the very least is inextricable from racist dispositions of wealth. Therefore, property is racist. Now, I know for some of you, your heads just exploded. You're like, whoa, you know, you don't swerve. Keep keep it 10 and 2. Do not do not 
you know, nick the car next to you as you're driving along because you might be thinking to yourself, what did she just say? That's what I just read over here at counterpunch.org. And th this is not the only article of this nature. This person says it's no coincidence that the term private found in the designation private property derives from the term, the verb to deprive. And these deprivations from the late 18th century on and the creation of personal property, slaves, for instance, and real property, which is land, were justified and enabled by racist ideologies. This relationship between race, property, and police appears in the very creation of the institu institution of the police department. Now, I can go on further. This piece really, the whole idea that property is racist is a part of what they're trying to do, that what they really want to do is take anyone who reads this and flip a switch in their mind to turn them against the police. The same police who, when you dial 911, they show up. They don't ask you, are you a property owner before they come to you? They don't ask you, are you black? Because we can't respond to you if you're black. They come if you dial 911, regardless of who you are, and they respond. But there's something bigger here. Why would any person who's on the left need to go to these great lengths to look up how police departments were originally formed and try to create this narrative that the police are racist and therefore property is racist? Well, because these people want to eliminate private property, they think the government should own it all. And when the government owns all of the property, you have someone like Nicolas Maduro, it would be an American, of course, who would be able to deprive you of your right to your home, give that home to someone else give it to a group of someone else's or take it for themselves and there'd be nothing you could do about it because your inalienable rights, the rights that are given to you by the creator that are enshrined and protected in the constitution, all of that would be a bunch of hooey. You wouldn't have to worry about that anymore. You wouldn't have to worry about owning guns or property or cars. You wouldn't own anything. Everything would be an extension of the state. That always leads to people being killed because at some point, all of these really good-natured liberals that are the ones who are actually supporting these people, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Joe Biden, Barack Obama, because people like to act like these new people are the fringe and they're, they're something new and they're aberrations. They are the creations of Nancy Pelosi and Dick Durbin and Barack Obama. These are their, they're their fruit. You know, what, what happens when you create something, that thing grows and it produces after its own kind? These new Democrats can't be that different from the old Democrats because we each produce after our own kind. Okay? So don't miss this. Every time you hear someone talking about this thing, if you take anything, this polka dotted mug is racist. At some point, that racist thing has to be punished and its owner has to be punished by extension because you believe you're drinking out of the mug, you believe in it. Everything falls under this ideology. They can't fix inner cities because they keep applying Marxist communist principles to people who live in the inner city and it's not working. So what do they want to do? They want to improve the inner city by basically taking it and dissipating it out into the successful areas by eliminating private property and the right to say as a town, all of our lots in this town are one acre and all of the new construction shall be single property, sing single family dwellings. And they want the government to come in and say, you shall not only have single family dwellings, you shall have 100 uh, unit apartment buildings, 10 stories tall in your neighborhoods as well. We don't care if that destroys the peace and tranquility. We don't care if everybody in your neighborhood then puts up a for sale sign and moves to another town. We, what we're going to do is we're going to make you live the way we want you to live, which when you hear that, 
You know that's unconstitutional. It goes against what the founders had for us. And it's irrelevant of whether you think it's racist or not or not racist. It is done to cover up failure. The failure of individuals who honestly, they couldn't find a good idea if a good idea was a person and walked up to them and cold clocked them in the face. They would still, upon waking up, not know who punched them because the person who punched them was a good idea. And that's what we're dealing with here. And so when you hear it, just automatically go to, why is private property racist? And how did you come to that place? Are you saying it's racist because people who tend to own private property tend to have wealth and they tend to make good choices and they tend to be in certain family situations, two income or two, two parent households, one or two incomes, but two, two income households, intact marriages, children all from the same couple, most children from the same couple, right? Once they've frozen their target and stuck it up there and then slapped the label racist on it, they can do almost anything to that entity. And when we hear someone say that's racist, the first thing you have to do is figure out, okay, why would this person say this thing is racist? And then ask them what's racist about it. What exact example do you have of this entity or person or group of people being racist? Provide documentation of each racist act and tell me how many times does someone have to be racially insensitive for that to rise to the level of racism? And what is your definition of racism? I guarantee you before you get to that last question, that person will have devolved and melted down. They'll be calling you names. They'll be in your face spitting or they'll have disconnected from you if it's online because they can't answer those questions. As Christians, we have to be as gentle as doves, but we have to be strong as steel. And the steel is the truth of God. We have to be really careful when we begin to accept these ideas They're rooted in lies and falsehoods, and they're meant to take away our rights that are given to us by God. All right. (laughs) That is the show. You have news and information from OneNewsNow.com if you're sticking around. And if you're leaving us now, citizens, good evening from the heartland. Until tomorrow. Tomorrow.